You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast, Monday edition. It's a mailbag. Uh, it's USC week. Uh, I'm Matt Bream, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Um, there's a lot of news in like a, a two-day period between these two teams, a new defense coordinator for, for USC. Uh, the Trojans have fallen out of the top 25, um, yet this game still carries a large weight, and I suspect that this is going to be a mailbag focused entirely basically on this weekend's game. Going to be a lot there. Uh, going to be some stuff looking forward. Yep. Going to be a big picture question here to start um, from at Duck Obsession. Um, Bo Nix sits just behind Michael Penix in odds to win the Heisman. Marvin Harrison Jr. is trending towards stealing the show. What do you think Bo has to do to get over the hump? Hashtag Otson Audibles. Thank you, Duck Obsession, for the question. I don't know if you've asked one before. Thanks for joining the show. Um, well, there's potential for a head-to-head between these two guys. Have we talked about that possibility before? That maybe Oregon and Washington could play again? That would be interesting. Um, and if that happens, like, obviously, like, Bo beating Michael Penix in a head-to-head would probably go a long way in terms of creating some sort of separation between those two. Um, just, but just like, just to simplify it, I guess, winning out regular season, pretty obvious stuff here. But if Oregon were to win its final three games against USC, ASU, and Oregon State, that's going to be big. Winning the conference championship, like I said, over Michael Penix would be big. And then continuing to hit some of these statistical um, barometers. I know when we had Josh Pate on the show earlier, he, he was talking about how kind of silly some of this stuff gets. But the reality is, is it is a narrative award. And if Bo like sets the single season completion percentage record, which he's like got a chance to do, that'll be something. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking just last night, kind of comparing Marcus Mariota's Heisman Trophy season with with where Bo is right now. Um, and it's not an even comparison because that offense was really different back then, and Mariota ran for a lot more yards, had a lot more rushing scores. But just as a passer, Bo's completing about 10% more of his passes. Like Marcus was at about 68%. Bo's at 78 um, Their Their quarterback rating were basically identical. Um the touchdown to interception ratio are very similar. Obviously, Bo's played fewer games, but I bring that up to say, like the statistical uh, resume that Bo has created to this point is at least like pretty on par as a passer with what Mariota did back in fourteen when he won. So, um, continuing to do what he's doing puts him in a position to to win this thing. And then, obviously, there's a bunch of stuff that's outside of his control around the country of like if Marvin Harrison Jr. and Ohio State win the rest of their games and he gets like 200 yards receiving every single game and against Michigan he has five touchdowns like that's sort of out of Bo's control but you know aside from those sort of things happening around him if this just does become a Penix Knicks Heisman Trophy uh, competition that game if there is one in Las Vegas could be what decides it and I did look it up because I know when Jared and I were leaving Otson we were talking to another reporter and we were wondering when the the Heisman ballots are finalized. Um, those do um, take place after the conference championship games, as they should. Yeah, the. I mean, I, I think it's pretty simple for me. Um, if if Bo Nix wants to win the Heisman, he just has to continue doing what he's doing at an elite level, and take down Washington in a potential Pac-12 championship game. Um, you know, Michael Penix has had one or two Heisman moments already this season, especially against Oregon. And then you can add in the USC a couple of touchdowns there that I thought were really impressive. But again, not as good of a defense. So subject to interpretation, but he certainly had that come from behind moment against Oregon, which was his quintessential Heisman moment so far this season. Um, Bonix has had a lot of great moments, but I don't know if he's had a specific Heisman one. And he's going to have a couple more chances down the end of the regular season. And he's going to have a potential chance to do it against Washington. So I think if they get to the Pac-12 title game against Washington um, and Nick severely outperforms Penix, uh, I think that could sway some voters' minds. But um, I think that's really honestly the only option of how Nix is going to, to win the entire Heisman is to have a standout performance in that title game 
if it happens. Because um, right now, I think that Penix and Marvin Harrison Jr. are are ahead. And I know that Knicks moves up in the rankings or the ratings or odds every week, but uh, I think those two guys are ahead of him by a good bit. Um, I mean, I don't know what else to say because you guys have laid out the path. It's, it's win and play good. Um, you do neither, uh, and you're not going to win. It's pretty simple. I, I think if, if Knicks comes out and has a – a poor performance in a win, um, it probably doesn't eliminate him from contention, but it makes it really hard. Um, if they lose a game like to Washington and he just is astronomically better than Knicks, he probably stays in the mix, but uh, it's going to be a, lot, a long shot for him to win. Um, it's It's an award that kind of goes now to the best player on the best team in college football. Very, you, know, you have to be generational like Kayla Williams was last season to win the award um, and not be on the team's best, you know, the best teams, you know, in college football or one of the two best teams in college football. And luckily for Oregon, they're playing like they're one of the best teams in college football. So if uh, they win and he looks good in those wins. He will have a shot. He's going to be in Vegas. Or he's going to be in New York. It would be a shock if he doesn't get an invite, um, in my opinion. But can he win it? It's going to dictate on how well he plays and how well Oregon plays as a team. I just was pulling up updated Heisman odds here um, to get a feel for it. And uh, Hope he got him at plus nine, 900. Plus three thousand a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah. yeah, if you if you look at this, it it does look like it's Penix and I mean I, I don't know. There's a, a a wide range of odds here, but most have Penix at plus one fifty and Bo at plus two hundred to two ten um, right now. And yeah. uh, Jaden Daniels is is becoming a little bit of a more distant third. Um, and Marvin Harrison, uh, is, his odds are a little more slim than that right now. It's plus anywhere between. Again, these are a lot of odds here. One thousand and plus two thousand. Um, but as we said earlier, there's opportunities for him to make up ground. So, I, I mean, Knicks is on the doorstep, at least right now, according to what Vegas is saying. <clears throat> and there's obviously a ton of football to play. Sorry, I've had a kind of a gnarly cough the last couple of days. Hopefully that doesn't interrupt the show too much. Um, but good question there to start. I think that's something to take kind of a appraisal of as we get further into this, of like Oregon's playing for something special, and obviously that's what's going to be central for the team. But secondarily, there could be some big – Big award stuff here as well. All right, second one from at Quackinator, and now we're getting into these USC-specific questions. Uh, this was a not a Twitter question. This one came from one of our site members who asked if he could send me a DM with a couple of questions. He did, so I, cho I chose this one from at Quackinator. With Grinch finally out at SC only a week before the Oregon game and the position being taken over by the team's defensive line and linebacker coaches, not that it will matter either way, considering how well Knicks and company have been executing Stein's offense, but should Oregon fans expect to see a slightly more motivated and prepared SC defense on Saturday or an even more dysfunctional and demoralized version? Or is one week simply not enough for significant changes to be made? And since the new coaches are disciples of Grinch anyway, it will almost certainly be more of the same. Any insights on this development? Um, Long-winded question there, which is what you get when it's not on Twitter with the limited uh, number of characters. This is the story of the week, probably, in terms of like what, what happens with SC's defense. Does it get better? Does it get worse? Does it just stay the same? Like I think this is something that, like this to me, feels like the kind of a linchpin in this game. Obviously, Oregon opens at two-score favorites. They should be. I think Oregon is clearly the better team. SC is reeling right now. They really haven't played good football at all since, like, what, mid-September, late September. Um, the defense hasn't really been impressive at all this entire season. Um, I mean, it's impossible for us to really say one way or the other, but it, it, it does create an interesting element here of, like, sometimes you see coaches canned, and then the next week they play really, really well. We just saw it in the NFL this last week with the Raiders. They fired like their entire staff, and they go out there and thump the Giants. I know the Giants stink, and they had a lot to do with the why that was a thirty to six game. But you know, sometimes you do see teams rally behind 
new coaches or rally, you know, because of maybe they didn't like what was going on previously. I, I can't speak to all the dysfunction or whatever that was going on at Southern California, but um, I, I, I would lean that they're pretty darn motivated in this game, regardless of who the defensive coordinator is, just because if you're a USC defensive player, you've been getting ridiculed all over the place for the last month or so. And, and more than that, if you've been with the program longer. So um, I don't know if it'll be a big net positive or net negative either way. Maybe one of you guys has a stronger inclination, but um, I, I would imagine that the guys are going to rally behind this new group of coaches, but I could also see the opposite happening where it's just, they get come out they get flattened early because Oregon's really, really good on defense. And, and that creates even more doubt and questions internally about what they're doing defensively. I would be surprised if USC's defense didn't come out, I don't know, like hair on fire with their new defensive staff. Um, that's just kind of what happens in football. It's very strange. You would think that it would be like the complete opposite where, you know, they only have two regular season games left and their staff gets fired and they would just kind of not quit on the season, but just be like, oh, well, the guy who brought me here isn't here anymore. Like, what to do, but uh, in football, it usually works exactly the opposite. Like Eric went through with the Raiders uh, last year with the Colts and Jeff Saturday. Like teams kind of rally around coaches being fired, which I always think is is interesting. Um, like I guess it makes some sense, but in my brain, it doesn't. So there you go. But uh, I mean, I, I to go on like the other halves of the questions. Um, it's just too little, too late. I mean, a new defensive thought process isn't going to uh, change how poorly USC tackles or change how poorly they understand their own defense and the lack of uh, communication in the back end and blown coverage assignments in every single game. Uh, it didn't change the fact that Dylan Johnson averaged 10 yards a carry and 256 yards with four touchdowns. Like a lot of people will blame Grinch. And I understand it because this has kind of been like the MO with him and Lincoln Riley at, at Oklahoma and now at USC. Um, but there's a lot of other problems. It's like getting guys who are physical enough to compete in the trenches and getting tackling better. Um, a lot of issues that first year defensive coordinators have potentially, but this is Grinch's second year in USC and after a whole transfer portal offseason. So um, I just think it's too little too late. I don't think it's going to matter too much. They'll probably play harder, but what is that going to do? They played hard last week. They played hard two weeks ago and still gave up 50 points basically in each game. Yeah, like they'll play with more effort. They'll play harder, but that doesn't mean that playing harder equates to less tackles missed or less you know, plays out of position. Um, there'll be some tweaks. There'll be some minor adjustments that they'll do, but like less than a week before they play Oregon, and we're not going to see this entirely different defensive scheme. Exactly. And what they have, like, it, they just don't have time to do that. And and so it's going to be very similar to what, you know, they've ran under Grinch. Um, I just don't think they have good players on defense. And Grinch is – the big problem for USC, um, but he wasn't the only problem. And eliminating Grinch is just the first step in their efforts to solve all of their problems on defense. And this isn't going to change. You know, there's not going to be a dramatic increase or you know change with how USC is effective or ineffective on defense. They are who they are. It, there's two games left in the season for them. And, you know, it, this is just a preemptive move that Riley had to make probably to take pressure off himself, you know. And if he didn't, it opens the door for him to be fired down the road. Um, and th that's all that this is. Uh, I, I would still expect Oregon to, to play really well offensively. I would, I would still expect USC to have their moments defensively, but – in the end, they're going to be out of position. They're going to miss tackles, uh, and they're just not good on that side of the football. And they're going to have to hope that Caleb Williams can can lead the Trojans to 50 points again because that's what it's probably going to take to, to get this win. And I guess the last thing I'd say is let's say they do come out and get more exotic or get creative and do things Oregon hasn't been prepared for. I have a lot of confidence in Oregon's staff for 
finding solutions on the fly, right? I think that's something we talked about last week and throughout the year of this staff has been really good at adapting. Um, and that's obviously one of the things Dan has brought up several times this year. So let, let's say SC does come out and show some things that Oregon isn't prepared for or isn't expecting to see. I think that's something that would take a drive or two maybe before Oregon suddenly snaps and figures out an adjustment that that kind of takes advantage of of maybe what that defensive you know game plan that they are in what's susceptible there so i i i think you could see again like some small tweaks you're not going to see like suddenly their base defense is different and suddenly they're entirely different scheme that's not how this works but they might show a couple looks that they haven't traditionally been and maybe they go more I haven't done a deep dive into how they actually play. So I don't know if like if they're if they're strictly a man-to-man coverage team, maybe they show more zone or the inverse is true. And then it takes a little bit of time for Oregon right. to go, oh, they are actually doing something a little bit differently. But again, these are things that I believe with the staff and then also with Bo leading this offense, I, I have little concern that you're not going to see them figure it out. And over the course of a 60-minute game, Oregon's just too good offensively and I think good enough defensively where even if they start slow, I don't anticipate – it really being a, too much of an issue with the final result. It uh, it also it feels like if you're USC, like are you, have you not been trying these other things before? Sure. Yeah. Like, oh no, we're just gonna install this new, completely new package this week. Like, couldn't have used it the last couple weeks where it's like forty plus points a night against you guys. Like, I don't, I'm not sure what they'll do in terms of going to like the wishing well and trying to figure out something to put on the field, but. Um, I can't imagine it's going to be anything crazy enough there where they haven't already um, at least built it somewhat into their game plan or at least tried it or t- talked about doing it. Like they uh, they have been in, in need of answers for a long time now. Um, and maybe the new defensive coordinators, I think it's like a, a joint operation there at DC. Maybe they unleash it. Um, I just like, I don't know how many times you have to turn the stone over to try to find an answer here for USC's defense, but it might come multiple times this weekend. Um, but I, again, like Eric, you ended with, I don't think it's going to matter. I really don't. All right. Third one from at Cody underscore R underscore S Cody was smart here. He sniffed out that we'd be talking about Alex Grinch. So he has this question for us. The big one this week will be the effect of Grinch being gone keeping with that theme, Tosh will be a name for openings going forward with how he's improved as a coach from the last year to this year. Are we seeing the last year or two of Tosh despite Lanning's connection? Hashtag got snottables. Um, I kind of wanted to throw this out here because last season, the talk was Tosh would be gone, but for the same reason, Alex Grinch is gone because people thought mm-hmm. Tosh was bad. Um, I, I don't really have a great answer in terms of what, Hey, what are Tosh's long-term goals? Does he? Some people don't want to be head coaches. He's never been a head coach. Does he want to be a head coach? Um, he just went from the NFL, and I, I don't know if you guys watched that interview with um, Adam Brenneman that he gave, but he talked about how he had a pretty sweet deal. <laughs> he pretty, he really liked what he was yeah. doing in the NFL. He came to Oregon in part because of Dan. He said this is the third time Oregon had offered him an opportunity to be their defensive coordinator. So it seems like he's pretty happy here the question is does does tosh want to be a head coach and is somebody willing to allow tosh the opportunity to be a head coach of their program again something he's never done despite being a pretty big name in as an assistant for more than almost 15 20 years now so um so the point of like do i expect this to be the end or close to the end of it i don't have a real great answer because i i don't have a great sense of like what tosh's like aspirations are like he might be somebody who's like I'm cool being a defensive coordinator on a kick-ass team for like 15 years I love working with Dan I like Eugene I want to be here forever or he might be somebody who's saying I came to Oregon to show that like hey I'm more than just a, a recruiter that was something he talked about in the interview as well and uh, and I, I want to run my own program and if X Y or Z comes calling I'm taking off so I don't have a great answer to that part I do just think it is remarkable how the fan base has changed this offseason from I'm not pointing at Cody because I have no idea where Cody's mind was uh, coming off last year but there were some people last year who were saying Tosh needs to be done after this year because he's not good enough at his job and now it's completely swung the other direction where it's he's so mm-hmm. good maybe he's leaving which just speaks to the whole cycle of thought and analysis with how we do all this stuff so maybe yeah. rash decisions shouldn't be made <laughs> exactly 
Yeah. Uh, it's incredible what a, what a defense can do when they have the right personnel and the guys that they want in their locker room. Um, yeah, this is an interesting question. Uh, I don't really, I'm, I'm kind of like you, Eric. I don't know if I have a really great answer for this. Um, I, I don't expect it to be one of the last year or two of Tosh with Dan. Um, but like you said, Eric, like, I don't really know what his aspirations are either, where it's like, yeah, no, like we've heard other coaches talk or at least be head coaches in the past and mm -hmm. know that that's the ultimate goal is to get back to that head coaching position. But for Tosh, um, never has been. He's been the defensive coordinator at some good places. He's got NFL experience. Um, he's done He's done well by all means, like at basically every single one of his stops. Um, there's been issues in the past, and I'll leave it at that, but that hasn't stopped him from getting good jobs, uh, and it, I don't think it'll stop him from getting good jobs moving forward. Um, also, Oregon pays him a lot. They pay him a lot of money to be their defensive coordinator, and uh, it sounds pretty good. It's uh, less responsibilities than a head coach, uh, he just gets to have focus on the defense, uh, which is something that he loves, um, and gets you know a good little check every couple weeks. So that also incentivizes him to stay because um, you know he's probably making more than a head coach would make at a school that would offer him a job. So uh, I'm sure that helps. Uh, and I also think the relationship with Dan is um, pretty pretty impressive. Um, I uh, before like these interviews with Adam. What's his name? I can't remember the the guy that I can't remember who he works for, but Brenneman. Um, those have been some good interviews, and it really has showcased like the relationship that Dan has with a bunch of his staff members, and it seems like him and Tosh are two of the tightest there. So um, I, I think all of those reasons kind of make me feel like I don't know if he'll stick around forever, but I don't feel like it's going to be the last year or two anytime soon. Uh, I'll go real quick. Um... I think Tosh is in a is in a really good place. Um, we've heard that you know a big reason why he left the NFL to come to Oregon was Dan, but we've also heard the family connection. His wife is from uh, the Pacific Northwest, and they wanted to get closer to home, um, and this job fulfills that. But I think this is going to be a case of where he's probably going to be very selective. Like he knows he's got a really good gig. He knows he's really close with the head coach. The head coach is, is tight with him on and off the football field. Um, he's paid a lot of money, like Jared said. And so it's a case of every person, whether it's in sports or whether whatever business you're running or academia, whatever, like you, every person has this like idea of if I was in charge, I would like to do X, Y, and Z, or I would love to be in charge so that we could do X, Y, and Z. Sure. And so I, I don't doubt that Tosh has that feeling and he wants to prove that he can be the guy leading a, an elite football program. I also don't think he's just going to be throwing his name out, looking for a head coaching job every single off season he's going to be very selective of what type of job he would get because he knows he's in a really good position here. He's paid a lot of money and he's in a, in a place that fits him on and off the football field. Could it be the end this season? Yeah. If, if a school comes calling that fits that criteria, he could take the job. He could get the job. Will it happen? I, I don't know. Um, but I would, I would be surprised if it's kind of like both sides of your mouth. Like I, I think he's going to be here a long time, but like if, if a job opens up that's high profile enough, it wouldn't be a surprise that he gets it. He's not going to go after the USCD coordinator job. I don't right. think he's yeah. going to leave Oregon for another DC position. It's going to be a head coach or some kind of role maybe in the NFL. Just to extend this slightly, what kind of a job do we think is within, like you, you kind of said, like he's going to be selective. I totally agree. He's not going to like become the head coach at, I'll just throw out of school. Wyoming next year just because it's it opens what what do you think is like actually a type of job that would be within his realm or his yeah what do you think he would what, what would he be targeting if he was looking to be a head coach do you guys think why can't he do what Dan did and yeah. find a high power a power five school that has past success and 
the resources around it to, to turn it around quickly. Um, it sounds like I'm saying like a top 10 job or a top 15 job, but I, he's not going to go to Washington State or, or Georgia Tech um, or Vanderbilt. But like what happens if a Missouri opens up or if UCLA, for whatever reason, ever opened up? Um, or Cal, those, his, his alma mater. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I don't know about that one. I mean, they're so their academic I I, I was support. Joking. Their athletic support is terrible. That's kind of joking um, about that one. But like a North Carolina, a you know, those type of programs where they've had some success and they're just on down times and you know, but they can get back really quickly with, with the right people around it. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. Um it's gonna have to be a school, like you said, Matt, where it does have past success and it's kind of on the rise, maybe a little bit underneath where they expect them to be and they need a jolt to the program. You know, Tosh is still young. We all know that he's a good recruiter. Um, he can certainly bring talent to campus. Uh, it's just more of like he doesn't have any coaching experience, which is a big uh, it's a big question mark going into anybody's hire. It was a big question mark when Oregon hired Dan Lanning because he didn't have any head coaching experience at the collegiate football level. So uh, I think that would that would be a big question mark. Um, the school that immediately popped in my head is South Carolina, Ooh. because yeah. I don't know how long Shane Beamer is going to be there for. But I don't know if South Carolina would even really go after Tosh. Um, I think that Tosh is a wonderful defensive coordinator, and uh, at Oregon with him and Dan Lanning, their two brains together can have a defense that's going to be good for a long time. I don't know if he's a head coach. I've never seen it, and I don't know if South Carolina would would say, "Yeah, no, we want the guy who's never been a head coach before to be our head coach at South Carolina," and uh, our fan base would definitely be okay with this. That's the challenge, too. For, that's kind of that's kind of where my head has gone. Is like because I, I agree because I feel like Dan and Tosh are a little different in terms of Dan was like a, just a rocket, right? Just yeah, so, no, Dan was like so the fast. chosen son, like him and <laughs> him and Kenny Dillingham. Yeah, just so quick they elevated from their you know mid thirties. Like Tosh has been doing this. Like I said, he's been an. I, I remember when he was Xbox Tosh recruiting for Cal and Washington and taking all the recruits Oregon wanted. You know, back in the mid two thousands, like two thousand four to two thousand eight range. It seemed like he was just grabbing guy after guy. Um, maybe two thousand five to two thousand ten, somewhere in that range. But it. It, it, so he's been around. That's why it's, I don't know, it's kind of interesting to think about what he would actually take. But I agree, like, it's, he's not going to take a, a stepping stone job because he's already done the stepping stone work, if you will, in terms of being a really high profile right. coordinator. At, and he's won a national championship. And this year's defense is a defense that could allow Oregon to, to play for another. So, um, yeah, I, I think he would be very selective. But it, to your point, it's also like what, how selective is a school going to be? Is it the right marriage? Seems like it might be tough here for, for Tosh to take off. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, wrap up the edition of the Odds and Audible's mailbag. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audible's podcast. Three questions in, a couple more to go. All right, fourth from, I think, another first-time question asker at WMC Bride 212 It's probably W. McBride. Sorry about that. Um, considering what we have seen from Noah Whittington in the past and how much Jordan James has improved this season, who do you think will be the premier back for next year's team in place of Bucky? Get ahead of herself a little bit here, but uh, I thought it was interesting in, in part because we spent – a little bit of time on Saturday talking about the future of the quarterback position, which is a position we will certainly be talking about a lot going forward. And we talked about Ty's development and how that was encouraging. And there were actually several questions in that were mailbagged questions that were posed about that, but we'd already kind of discussed that on Saturday. So I figured I would, I would halt that conversation for the time being, but I hadn't really gone through this exercise. So I kind of wanted to talk it out a little bit with you guys, um, I agree with the premise that Bucky will be gone. I would be absolutely floored if he decided to come back. Maybe NIL is really, mm -hmm. really great, and he decides to come back. But at running back, your earning potential is so small in the NFL that you really just want to avoid taking hits. So you want to get yeah. to the NFL as soon as you possibly can. And Bucky has certainly proven to be an NFL-caliber running back. Um, before we get to that, Jared, what, what is the mock? Like, where, where is he per perceived right now, Bucky, in the, in, the, in the mock drafts? Have you seen? Is there enough out there? Uh, I haven't really seen him any mocks usually because at this point of the season, it's just like one or two round mocks. Um, I don't think he's a day one guy. I think oh, yeah. he's likely a day two guy, probably of round three, four, five. Um, but it's a running back. Like I've said on this podcast many times, running backs aren't as valuable as people would like them to be. So he's probably a day, day two guy, probably the fourth, fifth round. I was going to say, it depends on how he finishes the season. I think his ceiling is probably like end of second i was just gonna Top say three. that that's where my head went i think i feel like he's a third round running back is, is about the range but it, okay i just wanted to get that part out um i don't know i thought this was interesting because noah was awesome last year playing kind of that you know number two role and jordan's been really great this year playing that number two role so like kind of who's in a better spot and here's the one place i will start which is whittington i think suffered a pretty significant injury um, I don't know if we talked about it much on the pod, but we've seen him around practice. Uh, last time I saw him, he was still on crutches. You know, he's got a full leg brace. Like that looks like, and I've heard that that's, there, was a, there was some ligament damage there on his knee. Um, like I don't think this is like a minor injury. So I, I would anticipate Jordan has the leg up to start next season just because of Noah maybe not being fully back. Like who knows? Like it's – it varies so much these days with like, A, how soon are you actually healthy? And then how soon are you back to where you were before? Like we've seen guys like, I don't know if it's, it's obviously a totally different position, but like Junior Angilau, like seemingly just isn't fully ever the same human he was before because he just doesn't even play now for Oregon and I don't think ever will play. Um, but that was a guy who was like a three or four year starter at Texas and suffered a pretty significant knee injury and now he's not available. Um, I don't think that'll be Noah's story, but that's certainly a, a possible outcome. Um, I, I think Jordan gets the leg up. And if I were to just say, like, if both players were fully healthy and there was no concern with the injury, I'd still probably have Jordan above Noah just in terms of the, the explosiveness and what he's shown this year in this offense. Um, I think Jordan James is a really, really good running back. I think Noah Whittington's a really good running back. I think this is a great problem to have, but I would lean Jordan over Noah. Um, just based upon what we've seen most recently, where I think Jordan is running. We talked about Bucky's ceiling as a running back. I, I think Jordan, I don't know if it's higher, but Jordan is certainly somebody who has an NFL future. And I think Noah probably does too, but I'm probably a little bit more bullish on on Jordan's than, than Noah's. I don't know. Um, I, I like both of these running backs a lot. I like Jordan James. Um, obviously, we've been able to see what he's um, what he can do and and – Frankly, because of Noah Winnington's injury, he gets more reps now. Um, but I think people 
have forgotten how good Noah Whittington is. Um, he also has the opportunity to go pro after this year. Uh, I don't expect him to. Yeah. Uh, I'd be I'd be surprised. Uh, I think next year, like if he's 100% healthy, I might put him as the starter. Um, mostly because he can pass block, and he was the only running back on this team that could pass block. Um, you see, there's a lot of sets that Oregon will run where Buck Irving is going out on a route. And it's not because they need him to go out on a route. It's because he's uh, not the greatest of pass blockers, as we saw against Washington. Um, they took advantage of him. And so maybe that's why I start Noah and give him the upper hand over Jordan in this hypothetical world. Um, I also think he's a just a great runner, very mm-hmm. similar to, to Bucky and Jordan. It's not like these guys aren't really good at their positions, but um, maybe I'll give Noah the slight edge because he's a better pass blocker than Jordan James is. Um but I think if you're Oregon and both these guys come back and are 100% healthy by the start of next season, I don't think it matters who gets to start. Doesn't. Um, it's kind of like last year. I think Noah got some of the starts, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, early on, yeah. But it's not, you know, it's like, okay, cool. Uh, they're still going to run, you know, 20 times a game each. Like, it's not going to make a big difference in who gets to start, who doesn't get to start. But. I think I would give it to Noah if they're both 100% healthy in this situation just because of the pass-blocking abilities. I think that's a a good separator and could get more playing time in this offense. Uh, A couple things. Um, One, if Bucky can't pass-block, he's not going to be a second- or third-round draft pick. That's just not going to happen. They're not going to use a pick that high on a guy. I I think – I think he's one of the best in college football, but to your point, Jared, running backs, the value, there's just, it's not there. It's not what people want it to be. I think he's probably more of a four of a five round pick, maybe even six. He's not very big, um, but he can't, he struggles pass blocking. He's tough as hell. He's, he's hard to get down. His vision is insane. Um, He's going to get drafted, but he also has some deficiencies and he also plays a position that, just doesn't have a lot of value. That being said, both Whittington and Jordan James are going to play equal amounts next season. I think Bucky's gone. I think both those two guys will be kind of 1A, 1B, and it'll be a lot like last year where Noah started multiple games. Um, I think both – this is a this is the problem that you want as a football program. You have three NFL running backs on your roster in 2022 – or 2023, excuse me. Um, one of them is hurt and the third guy on the list who's Jordan James has flourished and you go into 2024 knowing that James is, is elite Noah Winnington, if he's healthy and fully recovered by the time the season starts will be an NFL caliber running back. And it doesn't really matter who starts or, or who finishes games because whoever is out there is going to be a dude and you've got two of the best in the conference, you know, yet again next season. So I, it's going to be a lot like last year. The the the, the starts will rotate. The, the usage will rotate. They do different things. They do similar things. But the common trait is they're both really really good running backs. Okay, then here's the last question: Jordan James, Bucky Irving, hired NFL draft ceiling. Going forward, obviously Jordan will not be in the same draft as Bucky, but do we think Jordan could even be a player who's taken more highly? He is physically bigger. Yes, I think it's because he's bigger. It's because he's um, bigger. This is a tough one. I just think what Bucky Irving does in the field is something that so few running backs can do, and this is coming from a running back hater. Um, <laughs> I just think that what – like his specialties are are more special than Jordan James's specialties. Um, certainly helps that he's bigger and uh, he has another year of development here at Oregon. He's only a sophomore, so he gets another year. So it'll be interesting to see the similarities and the differences between those two in their junior seasons, respectively. Um, there's just something about Irving as a pass catcher as well that really helps his draft profile because of how pass heavy offenses are in the NFL and his ability to get guys to miss in the open field at every level, whether a linebacker, defensive back, whatever. Um, so I think I would give it to Bucky. I think I would give it just because of his abilities that are really special. Um, but I'll be interested to see what Jordan James looks like with like a full workload next year. Yeah, it's gonna, I, I just think it's fascinating. And, and 
big props to, to Carlos Lachlan for the room mm -hmm. he's built. Because remember, none of these guys were here before he was. He went out and these were these, he, he added these three guys the moment he got on campus. Think about what that has meant for this program. That's that's three for three. And that's pretty damn impressive from, from Coach Lachlan there, who seems to have an eye for talent. I, mean, I remember when Noah was taken, remember we were kind of like, okay, he was at Western Kentucky. He had like 600 yards. Like, now it's like oh, Western a Kentucky, a giant pass offense, too. Exactly. True. But like, it was kind of like, okay, yeah. And, and, and it was an inexperienced hire for Carlos. And there was kind of some questions. It's Dan's done pretty well in finding these diamond in the rough kind of coaches, like even a leak who has mm -hmm. obviously super young and had experience here has, has panned out really well. So um, I think the fact that we're talking about this speaks to how well Coach Lachlan has done. I'd like to rebuttal as well. Um, Jordan James has half as many touches as Bucky this season. I, I think we're seeing a similar trait to what Jordan James to Noah Whittington happened last year where Jordan had a very limited role. And now that Noah's hurt, he's had that opportunity to get more time on the field and it's exploded his production. Mm -hmm. I think if you gave Jordan James the same amount of reps that Bucky gets, and I'm not saying he should this season because Bucky is the better player. But I think if, if we gave Jordan as many opportunities to see what he could do uh, as Bucky does, uh, I think our tune would be a little bit different of what Bucky can do. Um, or what what Jordan can do on the field. I mean, he's he's played 82 total plays with the ball in his hands, uh, and Bucky this season has 154, and their yards per play average is basically the same. Jordan's actually better than Bucky. Um, so I, I think there's an argument there that if if Jordan could get the same opportunities – he would, his numbers would even be better because how many times have, yes, I, I completely agree that, that Bucky's vision and his ability to make something out of nothing is special and is very rare and it's the best on the team. But how many times have we said, Holy smokes, how did he get through that for Jordan James? He did it against Cal that touchdown run where he like hopped his way through the defense and took hits while doing it and still stayed up and went into the end zone. Um, he does it every game. He just does it on a limited number of opportunities because Bucky gets the bulk of the load as he should. Uh, both yeah. really good. Both are really good players. Like <laughs> there's no, there's yeah, no, no there's... I like both these guys a lot, which is why, yeah, which is why I would have Jordan as the guy next year. I mean, I think they're really, really talented. Mm -hmm. I think Bucky's no, better, no, there's... But, I mean, I don't. Yeah, no, there's, there's no problem with, uh, with either one of them. I think they're both really damn good. Uh, and if you're Oregon, you're lucky to have two, Great running backs, even after you lose another really good running back in Noah Whittington for the season. Um, yeah, I think Bucky gets the bulk of the carries and bulk of the reps because, I don't know, I think maybe the staff He's trusts him right more. Now. Maybe they just see that they that he provides an opportunity uh, that Jordan James doesn't. But, yeah, Jordan James always comes up and flashes on um, any rewatch anytime you're at the game. He has moments, just like Noah Whittington had moments, uh, just like Bucky – when he first got here, had moments like, uh, you know, everybody was like, holy cow, this, this Bucky Irving kid's real good against BYU. Uh, he had a couple of plays where he just got out of tackles, went down the sideline, made guys miss. Um, I think they're both great running backs. And uh, Jordan is performing in his limited capacities as well. Um, I think, yeah, if you gave Jordan the same amount of uh, opportunities as Bucky, it would be very similar production. Um, and I think that's a great testament to Oregon's offensive line because a running back is only as good as his offensive line can be. Uh, if they have, both have the same holes, um, they'll, they'll get there. But um, if the offensive line wasn't as good as it is to this year or was last year, um, I think it would be a little bit harder. But uh, I think both of these running backs are special enough to make opportunities out of nothing. Yeah, and that's what Bucky specializes in pre predominantly, is making something out of a very limited situation in terms of like how many times has he entered – a hole there's a guy there he makes one guy miss right. gets to the second level drags a guy and gets eight yards when it's like that should have been three yards um mm -hmm. i've compared it to like a baseball stat of like wins above replacement that they use where like it feels like bucky just outproduces what the average guy would do on so many of these runs where it's like he gets to a spot and a lot of guys would go down here and yet bucky ends up making a, a move and, and ends up further upfield than, than the average running back probably would and jordan 
to Matt's point, certainly does plenty of that. that he's had two straight weeks with those touchdowns where, um, or I guess two of the last three games with those touchdowns where he just won't go down. It was Washington State and also Cal where he just yeah. ran through a bunch of arm tackles. All right, last mm-hmm. question from at Ryan. Seven one six four six eight zero zero. Um, that can't be a phone number, I don't think. I think that's one too many numbers, or I would make a guess that that was somebody included their cell phone number on their uh, their X account. Um, Ryan asks, "What's the latest status on freshman redshirts?" Hashtag Audibles. Ryan, thank you for letting me highlight a story I post every uh, Saturday after the game. Uh, which is an update on the true freshman tracker. And I'm just going to run through this really quick. And then I figure we can kind of have a real quick conversation about what we think happens with a couple of these guys who are on the fringe. Um, nine players right now in this 2023 recruiting class have avoided red shirt. Those nine are Kenyon Sadiq, Poncho, Blake Purchase, Cole Martin, Tatum Tuioti, Mateo Uyunglele, Jaden Lamar, Amari Washington, and then most recently, this Saturday, Dante Dowdell played his fifth game, so he will avoid. So both running backs um, will be sophomores next year, not redshirt freshmen. And then there's a couple of guys here who are right on the fringe um, with four, and that would be cornerback Roderick Pleasant and linebacker Jerry Mixon. There's a bunch of guys with three. There's several. There's like a dozen guys with two, um, but – we don't have to get through all those guys because I don't expect unless something changes dramatically, any of those guys are going to be playing. Um, I guess just as a, like a quick talking point, do we think Roderick or Jerry are guys that they're going to burn their red shirt or not? I mean, both of those guys have dressed, I think, every game, but I'm not sure I see uh, a need for either to play a fifth game. Yeah, I'd be surprised. Um, I thought it was surprising that you know, Oregon burned the red shirts on both running backs, but I think they they just need them. Um, I figured it would just be one more than the other and maybe save it, but um, I, I think that's a fine decision. I With Roderick and Jerry Mixon, I just feel like there's a lot of dudes in front of them. Um, I think if Oregon were really inclined to burn through both their red shirts, they would have seen the field this past game against Cal in that fourth yeah. quarter because um, – I mean, the final drive, the little final drive for Cal had basically all true freshmen. You know, Ashton Porter, Jaden Moore, Terrence Green, uh, Johnny Bowens, Michael Gardner, like all those guys got in there. But the cornerbacks were Trey Bridges and Nico Reed, and then Dante Manning on the drive before. And then the safeties were uh, Damon David, and Mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember the other one, but I think it was cold. That was an opportunity. Yeah, it was cold. That was an opportunity to get those guys in the game. And they elected not to. So um, I think if you're Oregon, you were going to try and keep their red shirts intact. But um, I, you know, barring a change, I don't, I don't see how they really get on the field with that many people in front of them on the depth chart. Uh, Jerry Mixon himself was asked right next to me, leaving the wash, leaving the uh, Cal game by a teammate. Did you get in the game? And he said, No, I have played too many games. And that's <laughs> Whoa! Breaking news, from Matt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, clear indicator that he is redshirting this season, or they're trying to redshirt Jerry Mixon. Uh, so I've got a lot of confidence that he doesn't play more than four games um, in this in this season, unless some kind of injury or something happens. And to Jared's point, both guys would have played by now. They would have played more than what they have done if Oregon was totally cool with uh, burning their redshirt. I I think with certain guys. Um, a red shirt is a sign that Oregon's staff is very confident that they will be here either for five seasons um, or they look at it as this isn't somebody that is going to be so turned away by not playing as a true freshman that they enter the portal by the end of the season. Um, I, I, I think you there's different cases for all of these, um, but you look at some players and think, we think this is a guy that's that's not he's not going to be in college football five years. Four years is, is probably the max he's going to be. So who cares if one of those four years that he's here, he plays six games and seven snaps per game. Um, it, it, it's more valuable for that than it is for getting only two years out of this guy of, of full game reps or whatever it is, because then he goes pro as a redshirt sophomore instead of a true junior. 
Um, I think there's guys that to keep them motivated, to, to keep them intact, that they play them more than, you know, the four game mentality, because they think if it clicks, he's probably not going to be here and, 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 five years because he won't he won't be a, a fifth year senior or if it doesn't click um he's got that red shirt year available and he and he can go somewhere else and and play college football uh down the road but uh, it's hard uh, to manage players with the yeah. with the portal with the nil and <clears throat> the fact that guys can play four games and you look at the the opportunities at hand the asu is probably going to be a blowout so you're going to have opportunities to get those guys in the game um does USC this weekend turn into a blowout? Um, does Oregon State turn into a blowout? I, I don't, I don't know. Do they, do they find ways to get guys into the game? I don't know, but it's hard to manage. And one, I, I think uh, I'm happy. I don't have to figure out. Dante is Dowdell is a good example of what you were saying there, Matt. In terms of probably being like he might want to, you might want to play this guy to keep him kind of focused and make sure he's not going to look around. We remember how many SEC schools were looking at keeping him down south this last cycle. Um, one other just last thing on the freshman class, and I'm not going to say I'm totally stunned Jurion hasn't found a role just because it's pretty clear now with two years of Junior Adams that he likes to get basically five guys and play those five guys. And honestly, this year it's been closer to four. Um, so I would never would have anticipated Jurion would be one of those four guys, or even maybe maybe you could have argued I could have been convinced like he could be their fifth guy, but even their fifth guy now, which is probably I don't know Kyler Casper, like he's not exactly playing more than the kind of end of game opportunities. So, but Jurion being at three, I, I I do wonder where his mindset is. Is he is he okay with that? I would imagine the answer is he must be. Um, but uh, this is a Number two ranked receiver in the entire country. He's played three games and hasn't really produced at all. So he's going to be someone who will probably play a much bigger role in future years, hopefully. Um, but just think that's kind of interesting that the, the headliner in the class is not one of the guys we're talking about who are the nine who who will not redshirt in, in 23. I just, yeah, no, I think there's just guys in front of him that uh, I, I think it really would have benefited Jurion if he came in during the whatever it is, the spring term before that, uh, I guess winter term would also come in. Um, and it's, you know, from the guys that we're all discussing here, uh, most of them, the guys who have been played and guys who did use up their red shirt were guys over here that came in during the winter or the spring. Um, they got to learning the system. They got to learning the, or they got to get into the weight staff and, you know, build their body and be up to the level of college competition with that, with their physical identities as well. Um, for Jurion, like, yeah, I'm not totally surprised he's not playing. Like, we all kind of went into the season thinking, like, yeah, you know, we could see him playing because it's just his pure talent on the outside. But um, I don't know, like, I guess I don't know who he's going to take over reps from. Um, I think unless he learns slot and comes in for Gary Bryant at points, but um, he's not a slot receiver. And that's no. fine. No, he's not. Because they don't they're not gonna need him to be a slot receiver when he develops and understands the playbook better and gets on the field. So um he'll probably redshirt. I don't know. I don't unless he He's gonna redshirt. Unless it all clicks yeah. immediately. Like I don't see an opportunity for him to really get on the field and make a big impact over the course of the final couple games. Just last thought, uh, really quick is Jared, seven of the nine guys who are not redshirting were here in spring. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Uh, thank you for submitting your questions. We'll be back uh, on Tuesday. Well, Eric and Jared will be back on Tuesday with what happened with Dan Lanning Monday uh, night and also player reactions as well. And then we'll dive into the rest of the week here on the podcast. Until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.